now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or five. What's up, listeners? I am your host, ex-video store clerk, screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg, and this is Force 5, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. This week, all three Cinematics hosts join me to talk about our favorite films of 2023. I leaned on them for this episode because, one, they watch more movies as a collective than most people I know, outside of the middle-class film class host and Force 5 veteran Pita Beta, who watched something like 600-plus films last year, and two, I wanted to torture myself with a four-track audio edit. We did this show a little bit differently. We tackled five honorable mentions first, effectively giving us each 10 picks. And believe it or not, there were only a few crossovers over the course of 40 total films. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Force 5 Top 5 Films of 2023. There are certain episodes that I do every year and I really look forward to them. One was a couple weeks ago with top five physical media releases of the year. The Halloween episode is one of them. The Christmas episode with JP from The Laps Fan is one of them. But my favorite of all these shows is, of course, this one, the end of the year show where we put a button on the year that was movies in 2023. This is like the F5 version of the Oscars. Now, last year, I had Greg Sersevastian from Cinematics, and I told him that I wanted to make it a yearly thing, and he basically said he would, but he can't stand just talking to me. So this year, we upped the ante. We brought in the rest of the Cinematics Jason, to talk top five movies of 2023. Jason, I have no idea why you're having me back on, because that, I, that was the lowest rated episode in the, the storied history of your podcast. Why did you return for the pain with, with three of us in tow? He wanted to bring me and Bruce on and get the numbers even lower. <laughs> <laughs> listener per guest uh, for this episode. That's that's what I'm looking for. Listener per guest ratio to get <laughs> to get a whole lot lower. Now, uh, of course, we have the aforementioned Greg. Greg Sersvasti, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Yeah, faceless, but but still still okay. Still okay. That's okay. We'll all be faceless for the listeners, so they don't mind. <laughs> And I'm sure uh, Bruce and Eric see enough of you, so I'm the only one that's missing you right now. <laughs> we have Bruce Perky. Bruce, how are you? Hello. Hello. I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on again. I think I've been on here, what, twice, maybe? Twice, yeah. Last time you were on, we did top five mutated animal films. Yes, indeed. Last but not least, we've got Eric Holmes. Eric, how are you? Not bad. I'm doing great now. I've been looking forward to this. Can't wait. Yeah, this is a fun one. Eric, uh, you'll remember from an episode with Bruce, we did the first ever Force 5 draft episode where you guys did Kurt Russell films. I think I owned that one. I owned it. Bruce, did we ever <laughs> did we ever pay that off? Because we said whoever, like we each picked a Kurt Russell movie that we didn't see, and then whoever wins, we were going to watch that movie. I know we watched some movies, but I can't remember if we ever paid that off on the cinematics. You're asking me to remember things, and that's oh, not good point. a good let, idea. Let, let's just do it anyway. <laughs> let's just do it again. If we already did it, we'll do it again. All I remember is that Overboard was the key. It was my linchpin to winning that. Before we get into the movies of 2023 that we really loved, what's going on over there on cinematics? What's new with cinematics that people can look forward to when they switch back over to your show after this? 
Not a damn thing. It's like a barren desert. Oh, go ahead. A, a barren desert? You're not, you're, Eric, you're not supposed to talk. I'm the leader. Bruce, oh, Eric, gotcha. I'm the leader. Of the, you, you guys, hello? Bruce? No comment. No, no. <laughs> Nothing's going on. Eric and Bruce are always, they're pretty much carrying the ship. They're doing all of the great reviews, watching all the movies. Jason does, I, does not know this. I actually don't watch the movies. I pretend to actually watch the movies and I do fake reviews. So Force 5 actually became Force 4 just immediately because it went down with my lack of knowledge. But in all seriousness, we're just, <laughs> we're just plugging along like, like you are, Jason, just watching way more movies than we care to count because I'm sure you're... You watch way too many movies as well with a full-time job, family, the whole thing. It's it's a lot. Yeah, I wish I watched more movies, uh, but I just don't have the time. Not not like, uh, you know, you, you couldn't call me a cinematic. Yeah, Bruce Bruce has a full-time job and, a fa- and he's a loving father and husband. And he shirks all that responsibility to watch like about 10 movies a week. I didn't want to call him out on the actual cinematics program because I'm trying <laughs> to, you know, monetization and whatnot. But Bruce, you're not, you're a pretty horrible human being. So I just want to throw that out there with a, you know, so. Oh, just, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Also, I just wanted to point out that I just identified one of the problems with our show um, when Greg said that we carry the ship, which is what, you know, Herzog should have learned that that's not the way to get ships any play. But, you know, we bring it over the hill. We, possibly get murdered threats against us by our co-stars so you know i guess it is a fine uh cinematic uh tradition yes so you're calling greg uh, the herzog or is that you bruce i've got to be the kinski i think i'm the kinski <laughs> or maybe i'm just the old dude the back of the boat that just goes down as it goes down the rapids <laughs> In addition to our favorite films of the year, we're also going to be recording some superlative categories like top performances, worst film of 2023, and several other categories that I've blatantly ripped off from other shows. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk a ton of movies today. But before we get into our lists, I'll start I'll start with Greg. Greg, how do you feel that 2023 went in terms of overall quality of movies? I, to be honest, I, I think it was just a great year. There's a couple of movies I still haven't seen. For example, Killers of the Flower Moon, right? I, I still haven't seen that. I still haven't seen Barbie. My my bad. I'm probably the only person who hasn't seen Barbie. So aside from those two movies, I thought it was a very exceedingly great year with some really great indies, some good studio stuff. And when we cover our top 10 for this episode, I think you'll get to see pretty much a diverse array of films. We're going to be completely different. So I think listeners will get to see how great of a year 2023 was. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Eric, uh, do you agree? Oh, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Because uh, as mentioned off the air, uh, my top 10, and since I'm going last, if uh, if any of my top 10 is in any one of your lists, I have at least 30 to pull from. <laughs> so there will be no crossover <laughs> with me. Absolutely zero crossover. And this is not to say like, oh, yeah, this movie was good, but uh, this movie wasn't as good. It's just that was tough narrowing it down to 10 because that there was some bangers like in a lot of them, too. Uh, granted, maybe not in the, maybe not in the blockbuster, like, you know, I saw the Marvels, Marvels was fine, but like a lot of those blockbuster movies didn't quite hit, but the movies off the beaten path, which are movies that we typically cover. Ooh, yeah. Banger, banger, but it's been banger season all year. Yeah. Bruce, I know that you also have a list of like 40 movies you could have included in this 10. So I'm sure that you're in agreement, but I'll ask you a different question. Are you worried about the toll that the strikes of 2023 will have on the movie slate for this year? Not necessarily for the kind of movies that we get, because we get a ton of international movies, a lot of uh, weird, you know, indie movies and stuff. So I think a lot of those might get through that because a lot of them would abide by the the things that were causing the strike in the first place. 
uh, the big budget stuff, we sure might suffer. You might see a lot of things get pushed back even another year. You know, famously, what, Dune 2 is not out till quote, this year, I think. So there's going to be some stuff like that that I was anticipating that might get pushed back. But overall, I think for what we do, I think you're going to still have a lot of probably more content than we can cover. Usually that's the problem. We have like four to five screeners and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do three screeners this week. That's all I can do. I'm, I'm losing my mind. Jason, this does not help the prospects of cinematics, but Eric and I, we have a secret mission that Bruce does not know. Every single week we force feed him Saban films and Lionsgate releases usually starring Antonio Banderas, who else? Frank Grillo. And this is not Bruce's cup of tea. I mean, I think actually it would be more your cup of tea, Jason, but Unfortunately, Bruce, you can speak to that. You have to watch a lot of movies that we force feed you. And I, I want to actually apologize to you for that. <laughs> when I see, I saw, I'll, I'll look over there and at least once a week that one of them, they'll have a poster with just, you know, five faces and some guns and some explosions in the background. And it looks like it was cobbled together on Photoshop and has at least three semi-has-been stars on there. And I'm just like, oh boy, here, what do we got to get this time? Those are my kind of movies right there. Greg, you're right. I'm sure Eric yeah. uh, gets more excited about those movies too. Yeah, Bruce sees those posters like, oh God, we got to do this. And meanwhile, I'm like trying to keep it in my pants. <laughs> 6.9 stars. <laughs> Eric's plan to replace movies as we go uh, probably negates this question at all. But the last question I had before we get into this is, do you think there are going to be any films on all four of our lists. I think, like Eric was saying, he, we do a lot of off-the-beaten-path movies, so there will be some crisscrosses. I think I think the least person who's going to crisscross with us is you, Jason, because you are coming it from a different angle, and I just have a feeling me, Eric, and Bruce will have enough crisscrosses where it, it might get annoying, where Jason is just shaking your head during, during the middle of the podcast. We'll see. We'll see. That's Greg's uh, way of calling me uh, a pleb. That's his way of calling me just a, no. a normie, if he if he will. No, we just eat a lot of slop, and you're you're a healthy <laughs> human being. That's the way I like to see it, Jason. Well, I've gotten plenty of plenty of recommendations from Cinematics this year, so uh, yeah, let's let's see how this goes, gentlemen. You ready to get into our top films of 2023? Oh 100%. yeah, yes. You know what's gonna happen? You know what's happening right now? You know what's gonna happen? No, 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 no. Right, so the way this is going to go, I will go first, and then I'll kick it over to Bruce, then Greg, and then Eric. So that's the order that we're going to go in. So I'm going to start things off here with my number 10. This was a real revolving door at number 10. I could have put so many different films in here, but I chose to, to go with one that I didn't think got enough attention here in the United States, and that's Three Musketeers D'Artagnan. I absolutely love this film. Star-studded, large-scope retelling of the uh, Dumas classic book. Vincent Cassell, Eva Green, probably the most recognizable stars in here to American audiences. But man, Francois Seville has great chemistry with everybody in this movie. It's one of the most beautiful films I saw all year. Goes at a breakneck pace. And this is only part one. So I'm really looking forward to part two. It's called Milady. Comes out this year. Don't be afraid of the subtitles. Go watch this movie. It's got everything. It's got something for everybody. It's got romance. It's got action. It's got great acting. It's a beautiful movie. 
Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan, that's my number 10. Was this movie buried very quickly? Was it buried, you think? No, it came out uh, in France in the, in the spring. I think April is when I saw it, but it didn't come out in the United States until November. And it was like obviously a really crowded box office. So that's why I think I got a bit, a bit ignored over here. All right, I'm up. Uh, my number 10 uh, probably won't be on either of my cohorts list. That's kind of why I chose it, because I don't think they liked it as much as I did. Or I don't think, well, Eric, I don't think he even saw it. Um, it's from Argentina. It's directed by Valentin Javier Dement. Dement. Uh, it's called The Attachment Diaries. The, a lot of my movies, too, and I think we're going to find this on our list as well. A lot of our movies will be movies that officially got released in another year, but never got released in America or never got a broad release until like now because they just did the festival circuit. Probably comes out across a lot. Anyway, Attachment Diaries takes place in the 70s. It is one woman who is seeking a clandestine abortion doctor. She goes and ends up living with the woman doctor, and it devolves into some sort of obsessive, neo-noir, overheated, stylish, De Palma-esque, Wizard of Oz, fever dream, murder, maybe mad scientist? I don't know. This movie is bonkers. I loved it. Uh, Greg was okay on it, but I think this movie, I've never heard anyone else talk about it except us. So I would say look for the Attachment Diaries. It is also available to rent, and I think that's the only place you can get it right now. No, I I like the movie. Not as much as you did, though, Bruce. Just visually, it's just stunning. I think you'd like it, Jason and Eric. Well, my number 10 is Our Father the Devil, and it's set in France, and it centers on this head chef. She's at a retirement home, and the actress Bebtida Sajo, she gives one of the best performances from 2023. She plays Marie, the head chef. One day, a priest walks in. He has a new job in the whole area as the priest of that vicinity, especially that retirement home. And she recognizes this priest as a former just warlord, a tribal warlord from her African hometown. And the rest of the movie deals with her accusing him of this crime. And it's sort of a chess match between mind game between both of them and it's almost a two-hander but it's such a great drama i love it so much that even though it's number 10 this is the i think one movie that i think about the most as far as 2024 moving on just two great performances and loved it our father the devil that's a great recommendation i have not seen that one either i'll have to check that out i love it our father the devil at number 10 for greg eric what do you got at number 10 one of all my number 10 is dreaming wild i want to point out something uh that bruce said because it's on this uh, this is also noted as a 2022 movie but i mean just because it just because you showed it to your friends in your backyard doesn't mean it's a 2022 (laughs) release and I, i count it when you know the general public can see it but uh dreaming wild is about uh uh donnie and joe emerson um they're uh it's a musical biopic uh, or biopic, however you want to pronounce it, I suppose. Um, but uh, it was the Emerson Brothers, and they had an album released like in the 70s. And, you know, their dad put it out, uh, you know, helped them uh, get money together to put the album out to a resounding no one cares. And then, like, what, 30 some years later, um, some hipster picks it up, and the, the album becomes a hit. And they're like, what the? Okay. <laughs> Like that, they're just working on their dad's land, and then all of a sudden, someone comes up and says, "Hey, we want to put your album out." And like, uh, we put that out in the seventies. Yeah, we want to release it. Like everyone loves it. And like, uh, this is weird. And so, um, it doesn't go the way most musical document or um, 
music, uh, music, uh, biopics go. Um, because, you know, there's not the drugs and the, the, you know, fame and all that. This is more about, um, uh, Casey Affleck's character, uh, Donnie, you know, he knows what his dad sacrificed to, for their music and their music did nothing. And his dad lost a lot because of it. And so now that they got kind of a rebirth, uh, he has a lot of, uh, he has a lot of burden that this has to work. My dad lost so much trying to help us with our music. I have to make this work. I have to pay my dad back. And then so there's a lot of uh, family turmoil back and forth between that. Not because they hate each other. Not because they resent each other. But because they love each other. And I think it's a really interesting direction to go with this. And it absolutely turned on my heart light. That's Dreaming Wild. I uh, I remember you talking about this on Cinematics. And it's been on my list to watch since then. But I haven't got a chance to check it out yet. I will, for sure. Good luck not crying during the movie. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm a crier, too. So I'll, I'll probably be crying from start I, to finish. And it's like happy cries, too. Like, th- those are the best ones where, like, you just see a touching moment. It's like... <sighs> Call <laughs> Bruce didn't cry. You didn't cry, Bruce, because you have no humanity, right? Is that what the word is, Bruce? Because <laughs> I'm heartless. Yeah, totally true. But it did make me want to go back and find the actual album. <laughs> so that is really interesting when you have those kind of movies and you go like, I got to hear this music that actually exists. And I think that is also a great strength of that movie. So Also, Walton Goggins is in it. So there you go. Oh, well, yeah, you got me <laughs> sold right there. Um, speaking of no humanity, no soul, uh, my number nine here is uh, my first horror movie on my list. I thought it was a great year for horror. And one of the best debuts of the year, I thought, was Talk to Me, which is my number nine. This is the debut film by the Philippou brothers, Danny and Michael. It's about an embalmed hand that when you connect with it, it allows you to talk to the dead or, or really connect with the dead, leading to some obviously not great real world consequences extremely creepy movie. I saw this in an empty theater. It was just me. Uh, I don't think it had a great release strategy, but man, it's so creepy. Just kind of this fog of impending doom as you watch it. A cast full of newcomers who all really nail their roles. I really thought this was a great horror movie. My second scariest film of uh, 2023, which uh, we'll, we'll hear about my first here in a couple picks, but yeah, I loved Talk To Me. Do you think the working title was Talk to the Hand? I wish. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Talk to Me was was fantastic. Did not make my list, but yeah, really good. I saw it at the theater with my kid because I take my oldest now to pretty much anything. Uh, and uh, we, we both liked it quite a bit. Yep, for sure. So number nine. So this is my first, like, you'll probably hear about it at award season. And it will. it's been getting enough buzz that I think you'll have something coming out for this movie. Uh, and it's available on Netflix so everyone can watch it. Uh, but we did get an early screener of this, so it kind of fits into the cinematics universe. And that was uh, May-December by Todd Haynes. Um, uh, this movie blew me away. I did not expect it to be anything I was going to even enjoy. When I first saw it, I thought, oh my gosh, this just looks like art house drama with nothing else going on. But instead, I got the story, this kind of odd retelling of the Mary Kay Letourneau case, if you're aware of that, if you're old enough, if you're not, look it up, told through the eyes of an actress played by Natalie Portman coming to research for a role where she is going to play the character that is Julianne Moore's character. So she basically, Julianne Moore basically had an affair with a 14-year-old boy, and then after she got out of prison, married him, and now they are living together in maybe bliss, maybe not bliss. Uh, And this is just one of the best satires, stealthy comedies, 
social skewering of how we deal with, I guess, um, these sorts of, um, I don't know, I guess you want to say like uh, this culture that we, we really want these kind of um, crazy events in our lives and we want them dramatized and we want us to replay them over and over. Um, I just want to call out um, Natalie Portman and Charles Melton, Melton as the boy slash man now. Uh, and Julianne Moore are just all stellar in this movie. And you can watch it on Netflix right now. Okay. Yeah. May, December. I don't know if it's on your list, Eric, or Jason. I don't know. It might be on my list. Coming, But not at number nine. My number nine pick is Amerikatsi. Amerikatsi centers on Charlie. When he was a kid in 1948, he left Armenia because it was going to be under Russian rule. Everything And everything was going to be really bad. And he, he lived a life in America when he becomes an adult, he comes back to his homeland thinking everything will be nice and he can reconnect with his roots. Unfortunately, he's sent to prison and the rest of the movie deals with Charlie trying to get through the day living in prison. And the only way he can do that is across the way, he sees the apartment building of one of the guards in his prison camp and he sees that guard reacting with his wife and he develops some kind of drama in his head and he, through his imagination... He's able to flourish just by seeing their lives through his prison window. The reason why Amerikatsi is rarely known, it's because this is what happens when you have a great movie with no Oscar budget. It's written and directed by and starring Michael A. Gorgian. Great performance, great script, great directing. This is, I think, out of my 10, this is the movie that needs to have a, like a lot more of a push. Amerikatsi, I don't know if it's streaming right now. When it hits streaming, if it's on digital or on demand, rent or purchase it, it's worth it. It's an epic, sweeping story, and it will tug at your heartstrings. It's pretty much a perfect movie. Americazzi at number nine. Americazzi is streaming. You can rent it on Apple TV, Amazon, Google, all that for like six bucks. And totally worth it. I co-signed everything Bruce just or uh, Greg just said. Yeah, I remember you guys talking about this on the show too, and and all really liking it. All right, mine is Do Not Disturb. Uh, again, this says Do Not Disturb 2022 came out in 2023, but there is another movie called Do Not Disturb that uh, is marked as 2023. Not that I haven't seen it. This one's direct, written and directed by John Ainsley, and it's basically a couple. Uh, just go to a resort. They're at a, a hotel. Um, I'm not sure if the hotel is supposed to be a swingers hotel, but it seems to be something like that. Uh, they meet up with another couple. They're kind of annoyed with them at first, but they end up partying with them and they start doing some drugs with them. And then they start, you know, basically, uh, you know, swapping, swapping partners and uh, things get weird. Um the, the couple that were following, uh, Chloe and Jack, they kind of, oh, why were you kissing her? Why were you kissing him? Uh, you guys were banging this and that. And then they're like, screw it. Let's just do these drugs. And they start doing the drugs. And they start, it starts getting like real trippy, like almost like a shrooms or acid trip. And then they wake up and they're uh, bleeding. And you come to find out later on in the movie that when they do the drugs, they kind of go into the psychosis and become cannibals. And then it just gets crazy from there. Uh, it, it kind of works as sort of a sort of a jalo, but it's not really a mystery. It's more like a like a drug fueled kind of acid trip type movie. It doesn't start off that way, but it becomes that, and the the ending is really out there. And the movie's just uh, really good. And I, if you want weird, this is not the weirdest movie on my list, but it's up there. <laughs> that should be the uh, on the Blu-ray cover. If you want weird, <laughs> <laughs> things get weird. 
That's uh, Do Not Disturb. That's another one that I haven't seen. I'm getting all kinds of, of movies for my watch list here. At number eight for me, I always get a little bit nervous when I see Netflix is producing an original film, but this one just blew me away. It is They Cloned Tyrone. I had so much fun with this movie. It's about these three folks. We've got Fontaine, Yo-Yo, and Slick Charles, Jamie Foxx's character, who is just one of my favorite characters of the year. And they all get sucked into this government conspiracy involving clones in their neighborhood. It's It's got something to say, but... It is really well written. It's very slickly directed and it's funny as hell. There's a scene where Slick Charles is just riding with an entire crew of gangsters and these low riders. It might be one of my favorite scenes of the year. He's got his little gold pistol. He he knocks it out of the park as Slick Charles. If we had a superlative category of, of favorite characters, it would be really tough, but he would certainly be in my in my top couple picks for that. That's they cloned Tyrone for me at number eight. Quality, quality choice. Yeah, yeah. We all love that movie too. That was that was a great surprise. And what I think it's what's good to point out too, and we're doing this like, there's always the knock on Netflix movies, which is often justified. But we have great Netflix movies on our lists, so they're out there. You just have to have to look for them. <laughs> yeah, Sweet Girl, Red Notice. Remember? <laughs> yeah, Red Notice, Gray, the Gray Man. Those are great. I like all the color action movies on Netflix. Um, <laughs> so my number eight is uh, directed by Rodrigo Cortez, who made, I think, directed Buried like 10 years ago or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a movie called Love Gets a Room. Probably the worst title for the best movie. Uh, it sounds like, a, I don't know, like a, a sad rom-com or something. Yeah. This is anything but that. Um, so Love Gets a Room. The basic concept of this movie is it starts out in the Warsaw ghetto and uh, you follow a young woman played by Clara Rugard who just knocks it out of the park in this movie. And she is on her way to a small uh, theater within the ghetto where everyone will gather and they still try to put on plays in the midst of all the misery and suffering going on around them. And you have basically uh, a parallel story going on in this where you have her story and the people behind the scenes and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish. And then it will be interspersed with them having to go back on stage and continue to perform this play, which is also a musical. It's like a comedic musical called Love Gets a Room, which apparently really existed, although the actual text and music and everything for it, I think is gone or there was some most of it is gone so they kind of try to reproduce what they can of it here on film for us to see uh and that there are various as you might guess various interactions with nazis who are also occupying and controlling what goes on in the ghetto this is an amazing movie that once again we talked about a movie that might make you cry but also has incredible joyousness to it as well and it's amazing musical as well. It's it's quite an interesting balancing act. I don't hear anybody talking about it. Guess what? You can watch it on Vudu, Tubi, Plex for free right now if you want to. So go check it out. All right. It sounds like a heartstring tugger. It is a heartstring tugger. And it's also very just beautiful to watch every single second of it. That's not my number eight. My number eight is Joyland. It's a Pakistan set film about a married man. He's timid. He's never really lived out his dreams. He's living for other people. One day he decides to become a dancer at a production in nearby his area. I think he lives in Lahore, Pakistan. 
And his decision to become a dancer leads him to fall in love with a trans woman. That domino effect leads to just a lot of friction within his family. So it's a family drama set in Pakistan. And with cinema being sort of our eyes into a world we may never visit or inhabit, this is just a really insightful look at life there. And it's visually immersive and the acting by the two leads is fantastic. And one thing that I really loved about Joyland, it is uncompromising. It's very, very realistic. And like Bruce said, with... (laughs) I guess what he said with Love Gets Room, no one is talking here stateside about Joyland. This is just a fantastic... And even if you're not an indie fan, if you don't... I think this has a broad scope because it's just a really well-done family drama. So Joyland is my pick for number eight. Joyland. I haven't seen it, but I have seen it come up on a bunch of uh, different like indie top 10 lists or kind of more uh, varied top 10 lists. So that's really cool to see that you loved it as well. Eric, number eight for you. Yeah, I will keep up with the land theme. Uh, mine is Candyland. Came out very early in 2023. Uh, if I remember correctly, Bruce hated this one or or didn't like it as no, much I didn't, as me. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it a lot. So Yeah. Uh, but this one is a bunch of prostitutes uh, near a, or lot lizards near a truck stop. Uh, one is uh, like a particularly like, you know, devout Christian sort of like innocent, you know, kind of kind of woman. And uh there's uh, some CD people coming into uh, Candyland, so to speak, and uh, bad things happen to them. Uh, written and directed by John Swab, uh, and also features Owen Campbell, who was the younger brother in uh, My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell Me. And My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. Also watch that. But uh, it was good seeing him in there. There's uh, some uh, great comeuppance, and one of the things I really enjoyed about this, because I, I used to work a lot, um, do like mechanic work on tractors and trailers, so I know a lot of this world, and kind of similar to what, like uh, when you see something like a Green Room or Uncle Peckerhead, like you can tell that the people making the, the movie know about that kind of world. I think the people making this movie know about like that kind of truck stop sort of world too, so... That was nice, but um, yeah, I love the comeuppance, love the violence, love the characters, and love that uh, Owen Campbell's in it. Candyland at number eight. This is the one movie I didn't put it on my top ten, but I'll tell you one thing. It's the one movie where I gave five stars to last year. It was early in the year where I have no business giving five star to five stars to. It was not my type of movie, but for some reason, like Eric just said, just the storyline, the acting, the way everything was structured. I think it's pretty much a perfect movie, and ignored it's one of these films like don't don't be fooled go beyond that prejudice you have of whatever that genre is i think you might find a really great story with candy land so i agree with eric on that great job on that pick what genre would you say candy land falls into um i would say kind, kind of like thriller? think of a uh, thriller yeah i would say like dust till dawn like not the beginning but like the like the part at dust till dawn when they get to the t- titty twister just before the vampires pop out. It's like kind of like we're hanging out in the, the CD kind of area and uh, just kind of watch all the characters do their thing. All right. Like exploitative crime type of yeah, yeah, like yeah, dirty, sort of. grimy. Yep. And it punches above its weight. It really does. All right. That's Candyland at number eight for Eric Holmes. Number seven for me. Earlier, I alluded to a scarier movie than Talk to Me. There was an Exorcist spinoff that came out this year that everybody trashed. Uh, I didn't see it. 
this oh. that's not this film. Uh, <laughs> but this film that I'm going to say could easily work as a legacy sequel to the original Exorcist. This is a movie that I absolutely adore called When Evil Lurks. Um, I know that Bruce Perky saw this one. I, I, Eric, did you see this one? I did. In fact, I left it off my list because I thought maybe Bruce might have it, so... I'm, I'm glad <laughs> someone's talking about it. Yeah, this is a, a Spanish film about a near future in which churches have fallen and demons who inhabit people's bodies are just dealt with in a very specific manner or else all hell breaks loose. This is a movie that does not hold your hand. It drops you into this world and you just learn what you learn about the world through its characters and what they do. There are not many movies that leave me shook, but this one sure did it. I walked away from this movie like, whoa, I just saw something special. And I think that the reason that I felt that way is because this movie goes places that normally movies don't go. Uh, there's there's some forbidden territory when you normally watch films, and this one threw all that caution to the wind. It left me reeling, and it I just found it riveting. So, yeah. Number seven, my favorite horror movie of the year, When Evil Lurks. And it only made it to the theater for like one week, and then it just got just left. Yeah, I was very upset about that. Yeah, just didn't even give it a chance. Yeah, we always love that about things. Anyway, uh, number seven for me. <laughs> uh, this is one that I think may appear on another person's list here for sure, but I might be wrong. Um, and that is directed by Andrew Hay, if I'm correcting it, pronouncing it, All of Us Strangers. We just saw this in the last month. Um, this is definitely possibly going to get some Oscar buzz. Uh, All of Us Strangers t- stars Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal. Also co-stars Claire Foy and uh, Jamie Bell in all doing stellar work here. Uh, basic concept here is you've got uh, our main character living in a nearly abandoned apartment building in London. Like to the point that there's maybe only one other person there, a brand new apartment building. Uh, and he slowly strikes up a romance with uh, the other character. And in between segments of romance... He is traveling back to the suburbs to his family home to kind of, I would say, hmm, we've already t- said the basic stuff on the show, uh, but he's basically trying to work out some family issues that he's had with his parents. And if you don't know the twist, you won't, I won't tell it to you here, but if you want to know a little bit more, we definitely talk about it in quite depth on our show and you can find it all over the place, I'm sure as well. Um, this is again, one of those movies that um, if you give in to the artifice that it's presenting to you, and I did, and a lot of people have been, if you give in to the situation and accept it, I think it's got a ton of a ton of emotion. A catharsis could be had there. If you have any sort of unworked out issues with parents of any sort, you might find yourself crying in this movie or possibly in love relationships as well. Uh, this is a, a subtle, beautiful heartfelt movie that um hopefully because i think it's still only in some theaters now i think this is one of those movies that'll probably pop up on a streamer in the next four or five months and hopefully will get discovered and loved by the masses out there and that's all of us strangers heard a lot of good things my number seven was bruce's number eight it's love gets a room the only thing i'm going to add to that is bruce mentioned clara rugard she was previously seen i think best known for her work with hillary swank several years ago for this movie called Mother or something. And she's the lead in Love Gets a Room. I think she is a star in the making. The music for Love Gets a Room is fantastic. I listen to it on Spotify all the time and 
Really enjoyed it. So Love Gets a Room. This is another movie that was Bruce was saying, totally ignored. Just track it down, purchase it, rent it, watch it. If you like musicals, if you want to see a star in the making, uh, this is just, uh, again, number seven for me, just a perfect, perfect movie. So Love Gets a Room. That's our first crossover of the, of the day. Hmm. Eric, what do you got at number seven? Uh, my number seven is written by Mel Eslin and Mark Duplass. Directed by Mel Eslin, starring Sterling K. Brown and Mark Duplass. It's called Biosphere. Um, I know when we reviewed it on the show, we were talking around some things. And I think I'll do that here because I don't think a lot of people have seen this. But essentially, it's the uh, post-apocalyptic. The whole movie takes place inside of like a, a like a, a biosphere. I guess that's why it's called that. Uh, like, a, like a, what would you call that? Like a hab... A habitable zone or whatever Ge- geodesic dome or whatever yes yeah, yeah something dome. like that uh, yeah. i think the idea is that sterling k brown and mark duplass are the last two people on earth and they're trying to figure out how how, how do we uh like once we die that's it right like you know the, the humanity's done and so um i think i'll stop there but there's and in it's really unfortunate because all the great things about this movie is because it's got that early twist, but the twist is really good. And once you get that twist, it says a lot about some social things that are going on. And if I talk about those, <laughs> give away what the twist is. This is such a this is such a hard movie to review because like all this stuff that's really great about it is. St- Imagine watching Fight Club, and everything you love about Fight Club is after you find out who Edward Norton is. It's like, well, I can't say that. So I can't say what I like, but fortunately for fight club, that happens at the end. There's a bunch of stuff that happens. This twist comes real early. So it's hard to talk about it, but, uh, I would say it's, it's really short, really interesting. Um, I can tell you for certain, I don't know about your listeners, Jason, but I know some people will watch this and get triggered as hell. And I'm not talking about the liberal snowflakes. I'm talking about the other snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Biosphere is really great. And I, I'm sorry I can't explain it more. Just just you're going to have to trust me and uh, watch it. And then you'll know what, what I'm trying to dance around. All right, Biosphere. It looks like Bruce was in agreement on that one. I saw him nodding his head. And I'm a uh, big Mark Duplass fan, so I got, I got to check this out. I think he's pretty brilliant. Yeah, and I would just add in like, it's there have been so many of these kind of quote COVID movies where it's like two people in a room for some reason that they create some situation and they're very mediocre to bad. And this is exactly how to do that and do it right. And there's a lot of humor in that movie, in this movie too. I think that that's something I would point out is, is it has, it's dealing with issues and all that stuff, but there's a lot of humor as well. It's, it's, I don't hear anybody talking about this movie at all. So yes, Eric, correct. <laughs> all right. Biosphere. I got to check it out. My number six this is our last honorable mention pick. My number six, we're going from a, a two-hander, the Eric's two-hander of Biosphere, to one of the bigger movies of the year. I have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at number six for me. What a way to leave the Marvel Universe for James Gunn. I had no faith that the original Guardians of the Galaxy was going to be any good, and it turned out that all three of these movies, I thought, were pretty excellent. But number three is just a, a great satisfying conclusion for this story and this team big stakes but it never feels like it never feels like that giant beam coming out of the sky that all the heroes need to come together or else the world's going to be destroyed it doesn't feel that way and and part of that is because it is kind of a rocket raccoon origin story and it is not a happy one 
There are a lot of people that walked out of this movie because of the themes that it deals with. I did not expect to go into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and cry my eyes out, but there I was. It'll also make you laugh, as these movies do. And I'll say that uh, for action scenes, this has one of the better action scenes of last year. Uh, there's, there's a scene where all the Guardians come back together and uh, have one last battle, and I just I love that scene. At the end, of course, Star-Lord, it says, will be back. I'm sure the others will, too. But if you are a fan of Marvel movies and maybe haven't paid much attention post-Endgame, this is one of the better ones that has come out in the last five years. So, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is my last honorable mention pick at number six. I absolutely co-sign on that. I love that movie. And that's one of those movies where um, I went to the first one with my kids when they were really little, and now they're not so little. So it's become kind of a growing with them, and it might have choked up a little bit in that movie. A lot of choking oh, yeah. up, and there's a lot of... Uh, Boy, you know, if the <laughs> if Puss in Boots, when he gives his eyes and he looks up over his hat in the <laughs> Shrek movies, got to you, well, this is going to get to you like about times a thousand, so watch out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My number six is uh, directed by Colin West, and yes, Eric, it is Linoleum, and you're correct. You properly identified a movie on my list. <laughs> real, real quick, I saw Linoleum, and I was like, Bruce a thousand percent has that on his list. <laughs> Yeah, it is. This is one that I saw early in the year, pretty early, not as early as Candyland, but pretty early um, and stuck with me. And I've kind of been singing the praises of it all year long. And I know a lot of our friends have watched it and have at least liked it, if not loved it as well. Uh, Jim Gaffigan kind of stars in this movie as sort of a Bill Nye, the science guy kind of guy. I said too many guys in that uh, where he's uh, kind of producing this show out of his garage with his wife. Um and it is going to slowly be taken away from him. Uh, but what happens is he's, I think if I remember correctly, he's either walking or riding his bike down the street and a car falls out of the sky in front of him, which is very odd. Uh, and then soon after that, he meets another guy, a new neighbor who looks just like him and is like the like bizarro version of him, like the, the evil universe version of Jim Gaffigan. Uh, and then we just slowly uh, have this unraveling, somewhat surreal story, very heartwarming, very humorous story involving his daughter, involving himself, his wife, this other guy who came in the neighborhood, a neighbor girl, or a neighbor boy, I should say, sorry, if I remember correctly. And then what really works on this movie is a lot of people compared it to Donnie Darko, right? And these kind of movies, these surreal puzzle movies, right? A lot of times they just don't tie together, right? And this movie for me has an extended reveal at the end of the movie, which ties everything together and is not only beautiful, but is kind of mind-blowing. And for such a small movie to, to, to you know, kind of really shoot for the stars and hit it in the way it hits it and to do it with emotion and with creativity, I think this movie is, is a real gem uh, it's kind of what indie movies should be, hopefully. Uh, so if you haven't checked this out, it is on Hulu. If you have Hulu, go check it out. That's Linoleum. I love Jim Gaffigan. I haven't gotten a chance to watch this yet, but I really, I want to. I saw him live this year. He opened for Jerry Seinfeld. They, they were doing that tour and he just tore the roof off. There's no way that Seinfeld could have come in and worked the crowd the way that Jim Gaffigan did. He's just an amazing comedian. He's really come come along lately as an actor too. He did Troop Zero. If you didn't see Troop Zero a few years ago, that was, that was a, a fantastic little indie movie too. So talk about happy cries. Yep, <laughs> Troop Zero's got a, got a lot of those. Yeah, it's highly recommended. The third act is going to 
pretty much. It's one of the most memorable third acts, if not like top three memorable third acts as far as the year 2023. My number six is, yes, I am copying from Bruce. May, December. The only thing I will say about Todd Haynes' May, December is what's interesting about it is the blend of tones. You can, half the time you're laughing because it's such a really acerbic black comedy. And then other times you, it's, your heart's breaking just for the people. So it's a great balance of tones. It's a really well done story. And your allegiance for some of the characters in May, December changes as the movie progresses, which I found very interesting. So yeah, May, December was my last pick for the honorable mention at number six. I don't have this one on my list, but I agree with a lot of what you're saying. The The tone was, as I started watching the movie, I was unsure of what kind of movie it was until Julianne Moore goes to the fridge and says, I don't think we have enough hot dogs <laughs> in like the <laughs> most dramatic zoom in shot. And, and I said, oh, OK, now I now I know what kind of movie I'm watching. But it is a really well acted movie. It's not on my list, but very well done. My number six may be on Bruce or Greg's list. And if it is, uh, we can just uh, save it for later on when it comes up. Uh, you guys can let me know. It's uh, Compromat. Nope, mine barely missed it. So go for it, man. Perfect. All right, uh, Compromat is basically this guy. Um, he gets uh, like a, it's like an espionage, like a spy thriller sort of thing. Uh, this guy, uh, basically, he gets a bunch of child porn um, kind of... Uh, what what do you call uh, dropped onto his com- uh, planted on his computer, and he's uh, he's basically framed as a sexual deviant. Uh, he's like, well, I didn't do it, so you know uh, we got to go to court and blah blah blah. And his lawyer's like, uh, yeah, yeah, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna do 15 years, <laughs> but there's there's no way around this. And so basically, uh, he escapes, tries to escape. Uh, I forget what uh, country they're in. He's escaping from the country they're in to another one. I think he's trying to escape to France, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but anyway, uh, from that point on, it becomes kind of like a Bourne-esque kind of cat and mouse game. And uh, it's just a really good spy thriller. Probably one of the best ones. And uh, it's one that no one, uh, again, like most of the movies we're talking about, it's one no one's talking about in uh, it's very, very sad. But yeah, if you like, uh, if you like kind of spy thrillers, like, uh, that born it, actually born, the born movies aren't like a really great example. Cause I don't think the action is, is high, but the suspense is there and like the tone and everything. And then there's like stuff with, uh, you know, uh, you know, personal stuff between the characters that, that works out real well. Cause normally when you cut back to that, it's like, Oh God, this stuff you know, get back to the story, but the, like all the, all the relationship stuff really works in this. Everything works in this. And, uh, yeah, I wish people would talk about it more, but they don't. My mom, she is very picky with movies. And I said, mom, you're going to like this movie. She watched it and she absolutely loved Compromat. So that's from uh, someone in her early eighties and she, she's very picky. So that's just an endorsement. I love the movie too. I think Bruce, you can co-sign on that. It's just, a great, perfect thriller. It, it doesn't let up. I think it was in Russia. Wasn't it in Russia? I, I, I think so. I, I, this was yeah. another one that we watched like pretty early on in the year. Co-stars the woman from Cold War. I can't remember her name, but... The yeah, show. Joanna Kulik. Yeah, so she's really great in this too. Yeah, great stuff. Compromat. Greg's mom loves it. You'll love it too. Oh, yes. Compromat with a K. <laughs> so if you're looking C-O-M-P, you won't find it. K-O-M-P. Yes. 
Cutting in real quick here to talk about today's sponsor, Big Kahuna Burger. You gotta listen to this. They got some really great stuff on deck. Aloha. Welcome to the Big Kahuna Burger. Would you like to try our special agent Utah meal? With juicy pineapple, gooey cheese, sizzling bacon, and I can walk it through the garden. Mmm. 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 That's one tasty burger. Big Kahuna Burger. Mmm. That's a tasty burger. Special Agent Utah Meal. Only available Tuesdays. Now that was, of course, a fake ad, but I do have an actual sponsor this week. Again, Haya Health. Haya is a vitamin company made for kids, getting them essential super nutrients they need to be their best. I have a five-year-old. I've said it before. He's a real picky eater. So we use Haya to supplement what he is not getting, but they have probiotic. They have nighttime packages. It's all good stuff. It's delivered straight to your door. No sugars, no dyes, no gummy additives. Head to HayaHealth.com and use my code in the show notes to receive 20% off of your first order. And I'm going to stress this again. This is a real ad. So if you've got kids, give them a look. Get some money off by using my link. A couple people have done it already. So, uh, yeah, keep buying from Haya Health. All right, back to the cinematics and our favorite films of 2023. Uh, all right, top five time. I was agonizing over what was going to be in my top five. I've been agonizing about the order. But the order it's in is the order it's in. So here we go. Number five for me, my top five films of 2023. I've got The Holdovers, directed by Alexander Payne. I haven't really liked an Alexander Payne movie in a long time. I think the last one that I really, really enjoyed was Election. It's been a long time. And so I wasn't really excited, but I saw this getting a lot of buzz. And so I watched it during Christmas. Perfect movie to watch during the Christmas season, by the way. It is Christmas set. Um, It's about a grumpy instructor at a New England prep school. It's a religious school. And he's forced to remain on campus during Christmas break to babysit the handful of students with nowhere to go. And because of this, he forms an unlikely bond with one of them, a damaged, brainy troublemaker teen, and the school's head cook, who has just lost a son in Vietnam. I know that if I put money on the Best Actor Oscar, it would be on Killian Murphy, but I I think that Paul Giamatti should win the Oscar for Best Actor. I thought he was so good in this. He's funny, he's stern, and he has just some heartbreaking scenes. There's a scene at a Christmas party that you, you just have a close shot of him on a couch, and it's just heartbreaking. And then playing opposite him, Dominic Sessa, he's a first-time actor, and he comes into this movie and just holds his own next to Paul Giamatti. This guy is, I guarantee, he's going to be in four movies in 2025 because he was so damn good in this, and he'll be winning Oscars someday. Really funny, like I said, also heartbreaking. There's a scene with, um, I, I forgot who plays the head cook. She's just tremendous. But she is, she has kind of a breakdown at this Christmas party, and it hurt my, my chest was hurting for her. Just such a sweet relationship with her and the janitor, too. Uh, you see so much character growth on screen, and it's got one of the best soundtracks of the year, The Holdovers. I will be watching this uh, next holiday season for sure. I love this movie. Absolutely cosign. <laughs> cosign on The Holdovers. Did you see it, Greg? Yeah, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. It's, I think it's top tier pain for me as well. Really, enjoy, really yeah. good drama. We have one of our uh, cinematics uh, members who does not like it at all, but <laughs> there's a few. <laughs> yeah, but we're not going to mention his name, Matt Stillman, so let's keep on moving. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're talking about listeners. I was like, wait, I didn't hate holdovers. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Number five for me is going to be a movie directed by Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah. This is a movie called Rebel. Uh, and this movie, talk about a movie that came out of nowhere that I had no idea what this movie was going to be. By the poster and just by it being called Rebel, I thought, oh, we're going to see another middle-of-the-road action, you know, low-budget action movie. Who, who knows what this is going to be? Boy, oh boy, was, was I wrong. I know Eric quite liked this movie as well. I'm taking that off my number two and putting something else. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no. Uh, that, that, that means I get to put another one in there. We're good. All right. So I'm sure this is probably really high on, on Eric's too. This movie kind of blew us both away. Um, basic concept is you have uh, an older and a younger brother in, uh, if I remember correctly, they're living in France at the time. Um and the older brother kind of decides he's going to go off to the Middle East, uh, I want to say Syria, and he's going to be helping with like uh, refugees and stuff. And through a series of just odd events, he ends up basically being inducted into ISIS. And right out of the bat, you're like, wow. So for the first part of the movie, that's that's kind of what this movie is. Uh, and then it will kind of bounce back and you'll watch his little brother. And his little brother is only like 12 or something. And you see the little brother slowly, slowly being recruited and indoctrinated by people back in, you know, in his, where he was at home. Uh, and this movie does some things amazingly well. First of all, it just it just shows this kind of insider view. I don't know how accurate it is of ISIS, but I, it, it seems like it could be fairly accurate. Uh, and just how this person who has good intentions slowly finds out what he's in. And once he's in, it's kind of like being in the ga- in the mob or something. You you don't get out. Uh, and then they involve things like he gets basically given a bride, and that whole idea of how women are treated in that in that world. And then on top of all this, talk about gut punches. This movie has some gut punches. Um, on top of all this, there are. This is going to sound crazy. There are interpretive dance <laughs> numbers <laughs> in this movie. At least three, and they work. Uh, I know it's going to drive some people away, and you can skip those if you want to and still thoroughly enjoy and be entranced by this movie. But the audacity of this movie to put those in there and the way they're used is, is quite impressive. This movie is something, once again, I don't think I've heard anybody talk about this movie at all. Uh, and look for this movie when you get a chance and i forget what else these directors did but they did something really they did the uh batgirl movie that was canceled yeah the batgirl movie that was canceled they made this movie <laughs> i don't understand what's going on Here, here's the thing people are like oh no we can't see batgirl let us see batgirl i'm like you know they did a movie it's out you can watch it it's really good go watch that <laughs> like sorry you can't see yeah. batgirl but but I'm just going to say, I mean, Eric, I'm sure will co-sign on this. There are a couple jaw, more than a couple jaw-dropping scenes in this movie uh, with characters and the mother. I haven't even talked about the mother. The mother has a great arc in this movie, too. This movie is absolutely amazing. The, the ending, probably one of the most heartbreaking <laughs> things you'll ever see. Uh, the, the something yeah. happens to someone and then someone reacts to it later. And then they dance about it during the credits. It, it, the the dance the dance parts are weird because like there's a there's a part that um, in any other normal movie would be the rape scene, but they replace the rape scene with an interpretive dance sequence, and it sounds it sounds it, crazy. It sounds crazy. It sounds uh, almost like it shouldn't work, but it does. 
Like the, 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 um, did you see the, it's always sunny in Philadelphia where they have that interpretive dance sequence where Mac is coming out as gay and you know, it's in the middle of, it's always sunny. It's like, Oh, this is going to be funny. But then they do this interpretive dance sequence. And it's like, it's like, Oh my God, this is like, like just, I'm just emotionally getting turned on, not, not turned on, but like, you know, turn on my heart light sort of thing. Rebel does that. Like the, 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 and, uh, yeah. Oh, so good. Everyone watch Rebel. I'm so glad you had it on there, Bruce. My number five is written and directed by Goran Stolevsky. He's a filmmaker I really love. I know Eric loved his previous film, You Won't Be Alone. Of an age, it centers on a 17-year-old Serbian-born Australian amateur ballroom dancer, okay? And he's late to this dance recital thing with his best friend. And she's very irresponsible. While he's trying to pick her up and, and take her there, she gets to meet his her older brother, and during the span of 24 hours, her old that older brother, as well as that 17-year-old ballroom dancer, they have a very intense relationship over the period of a day. And of an age is a coming-of-age story regarding this teenager who falls in lust and love with this older brother guy, and also you see them years later when they reunite. It's a very beautiful coming-of-age drama. And very emotional. Uh, Eric was talking about turn on your heart light. This is you. You definitely turn on your heart light towards the end of of an age. It was last time I checked. It was streaming. It says here it's streaming on Prime Video. This is a movie again that's unless you're really into the indie world, it hasn't really been talked about too much. But I think this guy Goran Stolevsky is a, is a really huge talent, and it's pretty much all of it is pretty much handheld and it's very frenetic. But then when it really slows down. And you get to really feel their connection. It's pretty amazing to watch. So that is of an age, my number five pick. It's a lot of uh, variety on our list so far. This is awesome. Uh, my number five pick is A Million Miles Away. Uh, it's written by Bettina Giolos, Hernan Jimenez, Alejandra Abella, and directed by Alejandra Abella, Abella. And uh, based on a book by Jose Hernandez who this movie is about. Michael Pena plays Jose Hernandez. Uh, Rosa Salazar plays his wife, Adela. Um, this is one of those movies that were, were, when I was talking about Biosphere, I was trying to talk around things um, because, you know, they got sort of twists. This is a movie I could tell you everything that happens in it. Um, and as you're watching it, you can probably figure out everything that happens in it. There's no surprises here, but this is just one of those movies that it does the... You know, it does the formula. It does everything exactly as you think. You know, everything turns out exactly as you think it was. Basically, it's uh, Jose. He's uh, wants to become an astronaut, and so he goes to school. He's real smart. He gets a job. You know, he keeps trying to apply to NASA, and he wants to become an astronaut to go up into space. Uh, spoiler alert: He gets to go up into space, but that doesn't matter because what it, it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. Um, what I really love about this is the. Uh, relationship between uh, Jose and Adela, played by Rosa Salazar. Um, normally, Rosa Salazar's character is the the wife that um, is basically in the script to be a speed bump. Like, oh, why you gotta do this? Why you gotta do that? But uh, she's not that in this. In fact, she's incredibly supportive. Uh, you get to see um, they go through troubles. Uh, you know, Jose trying to become uh, astronaut is not easy. And the family pays a price for that. They, you know, they have to really uh, dig down and help them push through. And sometimes it becomes hard and you get to see all that. And I think it works because, uh, you know, Rosa, you know, 
Adele is not sitting there crossing her arms going, why you got to become an astronaut? We got to get food on the table, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, you know, just being a naggy bitch, um, you know. And to me, those characters are so annoying because I don't think they're realistic. And and, and with, with uh, A Million Miles Away, um, the, the relationship's a lot more realistic. It, it's tough, but they work through it. They love each other. They push through. Uh, Jose's family's very supportive. Like, everyone's supportive at... Much like Dreaming Wild, um, the uh, conflict comes from Jose trying to become an astronaut. Um, that's that's the conflict. You don't need to add more con, uh, you know, more made up conflict by having his family get on his case about stuff. Um, it's just inherently like that because it's a hard job and it's hard to get into. And uh, there's also uh, Michelle Krusek. Uh, shows up uh, very early on is uh, Michael Pena's uh, or Jose's teacher. And she makes another appearance towards the end that I, I just absolutely loved. That that was one surprise because I wasn't expecting that. And when it happened, uh, I turned on my heart light. Definitely. There's a lot of these moves on here, but you know, you get to the you mix it up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a million miles away. If you're the type that's going to cross your arms and go, I saw it was coming a mile away. You're missing the point. Just watch, uh, you know what's coming, just enjoy the characters' interactions, enjoy the the characters' plights, even though you know 100% they're going to get through it, it's fun and uh, heartwarming to watch them go through it and support each other along the way. I listened to your episode on this and then watched it shortly after because I was looking for something to pick me up. I remember listening and, and I was in like a bad mood and it's like, I need something to pick me up and... You started talking about a million miles away, and I watched it. And I agree, it's it's a really, it's just a a nice movie to watch. You can watch it with anybody, and like you said, the only antagonist here is time and the system that it that you have to go through to become an astronaut. So, do you remember the part with Michelle Krusek, the teacher? Without saying what it is, you know that scene I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where she shows up. It's like, oh, oh God, <laughs> yeah. you did it! You, you got me. <laughs> The lips quivering. <laughs> My number four, I I don't know if you guys have seen it. I know Greg hasn't seen it because he mentioned it earlier. Killers of the Flower Moon is my number four. Uh, Eric, Bruce, have you seen this one? Yes. Yes. Man, this is Scorsese again firing on all cylinders for me. I think if you listen to my review on this, you're probably not surprised that I have it in my top five. I thought it was a masterpiece. It's about the 1920s Oklahoma and oil is discovered under Osage Nation land. And so the Osage people start becoming murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. Uh, For the audience, there's really not a mystery here. It's more of just watching things play out. Great performances here by everybody involved, as always, in Scorsese movies. But Lily Gladstone, you can pencil her in for an Oscar. I can almost guarantee that one. She was fantastic in this. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is amazing as this kind of dim-witted, like, money grubber who's doing everything his terrible uncle, played by Robert De Niro, tells him to do. And he's great in this, too. Everybody, like I said, puts on a great performance. He's got a great score. I know some people were really turned off by the running time on this. And normally I'm a person who doesn't go to really long movies in the theater, but it was Scorsese. I had to go. I went alone because my wife's like three and a half hours. No, I'm good. (laughs) Um, And I did not feel the length, really. I I could have watched this for another hour. Um, There's stuff that you could have edited out, I guess, but I didn't even care. I just wanted to be in that world with Scorsese and his characters. I loved Killers of the Flower Moon. 
So would this be your favorite Scorsese within, I guess, maybe the last decade of his work? You know, like Wolf of Wall Street, Silence, and The Irishman. Is it? Does it exceed those movies, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's his best since The Departed. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, my number four. I think that's where we're at, right? Number four? Yes. Uh, my number four is Godzilla Minus One by Takashi Yamazaki. Uh, this movie may be the best, if not one of the best giant monster movies ever made. And if you haven't seen it, get out and see it like soon. It's still in the theater. And in fact, they're re-releasing it from the time this comes out. Well, I don't know when this is coming out. Maybe when this comes out, it might be in the theater as Godzilla minus one minus color, which they're going to put out for a week. Uh, so, Hey, there's a little extra thing there. Uh, basic concept is you have, it's right at the end of world war two, uh, kamikaze pilot has decided not to do his job lands on a small island pretends to have a problem with his plane doesn't have a problem with his plane gets called out for it but before anyone can really do anything about it a small version of godzilla gets on that island and just decimates everybody and then the rest of the movie is basically post-world war ii the uh what the kamikaze pilot kamikaze pilot now uh trying to just cobbled together a life in the ruins of Tokyo and Japan. Uh, it's just, he is gre- not grief stricken. He's guilt stricken, guilt stricken. He feels like he is to be, you know, at a shameful place from what he's failed to do for his country. And the rest of the, the world or the rest of the world kind of agrees with that. Although they've got a bigger problem and that is a bigger version of Godzilla is coming in. Uh, this movie is fantastic as a Godzilla movie. It's fantastic. It has huge nods to jaws. Uh, it's got great, great characters throughout and it's got a great character arc that you would not expect, especially in a Godzilla movie. And, um, Several people I've listened to review this that liked it have said, essentially, if it wasn't a Godzilla movie, this would still be a really enthralling and a great drama about how you deal with guilt and how you deal with the idea of honor and what is really the reason to live and what is the reason to do this duty if the duty you're doing for um, some country is is not just. Uh, and that's kind of the core of this movie. But on top of that, you got a whole bunch of great Godzilla stuff. I mean, this is a fantastic movie. And I think um, anyone who hasn't pulled the trigger or thinks it's just silly uh, is missing the boat on this one. Godzilla minus one. Awesome choice. All right. My number four is The Zone of Interest, directed and co-written by Jonathan Glazier. If you don't know who Jonathan Glazier is, I'm sure most of you do know. He's directed Birth, Sexy Beast, and uh, Under the Skin. This one... To be honest, it's my favorite out of all the Glacier movies because it centers on the commandant of Auschwitz and his family. They have a beautiful home and wonderful garden, swimming pool that is right next to the concentration camp. The rest of the movie, most of the movie deals with the family drama of them trying to grow their garden, trying to live a nice life on the weekends while people are dying <laughs> next door. So it is terrifying to watch. And it is, you, Jason, you mentioned scary films. This is my scariest film of the year because the movie itself, its execution with its static camera from Jonathan Glazier. And sometimes when it actually moves, there's a couple of great virtuoso moments in the zone of interest. But the terrifying part is you just see a movie about 
seemingly normal people trying to live in a beautiful home that, oh, by the way, is right next to Auschwitz, right next to that concentration camp. It is horrifying to actually experience. You hear the sounds, there's, and it doesn't really actually, you don't actually see the camp. And it's the way that it's executed. It's beautifully done. I listened to a, a recent review of it on the film vault and they were saying it's Oscar Beatty and Anderson, love Anderson. He said he can't, he can't stomach it again. Maybe I'm a sociopath, but just the way this movie was done, I could watch this a hundred times. It's amazing storytelling. And if, I know these are big words, if there's an heir apparent to Stanley Kubrick, I believe that would, that person would be Jonathan Glazier. And the zone of interest does not dissuade me from that notion. So the zone of interest for me at number four. I figured this was going to be on your list. I saw your post on uh, Cinematics Facebook group when you got the screener in. And uh, I know you said you really like this. I haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet. It's just in theaters for us normal people. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't take the wife to see it. I'm just going to say, it's not going to be a nice time on the town where you hire a babysitter, none of that. See something a little bit more productive and you know, <laughs> a little bit more family-friendly than, than this movie. I heard it's tough. All right, Eric, uh, number four for you. All right, my number four is written by Joaquin Hedden, written and directed by Maximilian Erlenwein. Uh, it's called The Dive, uh, starring Louisa Krauss and Sophie Lowe. Uh, May and Drew go on a uh, little uh, diving expedition, you know, with the, the tanks and everything. And uh, they, you know, they're swimming, things, you know, swimming underwater. Everything's going fine until one of them gets caught on a rock. Like, uh, I think there's like a, like an avalanche underwater and, uh, they get caught under the rock and, uh, you know, they got their oxygen tanks. So normally that wouldn't be that big of a deal, except, you know, oxygen tanks don't last forever and they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. So, um, they try to get her out. They can't, uh, the other, uh, woman is tasked with trying to go get help or trying to, uh, go back to the car, you know grab more oxygen tanks, bring them down. Like it's, it's, it's not shot in real time, but it kind of feels like it. Like you can kind of feel the, Oh, time's running out. You know, um, if I don't hurry up and I fail, uh, or maybe, uh, I try to get back and, Oh no, I can't remember what part underwater she was. Okay. Oh, uh, got her something. This will kind of, will kind of MacGyver something, make that work. This is like, you know, so th there's always problems arising. Um, but on top of that, uh, there's a really, uh, good emotional story between May and Drew, um, beyond just, uh, trying to save lives because they're not, uh, you know, they're not on best of terms with, uh, them and like certain other aspects that happens. Uh, this is not unlike, uh, 47 meters down, but this is kind of like a heightened version of that or, uh, uh, elevated version of that. If you want to say, um, I kind of think of the movie, uh, fall. Um, not so much the beginning of fall, but like once they get to the tower, um, and then you get the, you know, you get the chemistry between the, the two friends on fall, uh, this is, uh, kind of similar, just going in the opposite direction. Uh, they're going underwater instead of on top of a tower. Uh, but I think the drama in this is a lot stronger than a lot of movies of this type. And, uh, yeah, check it out. Very suspenseful, very good and very simple setup. Just someone's caught underwater. The other person's trying to save them. All right. That's the dive. That's a, I remember you uh, comparing it to the fall, and 
I I really enjoyed the fall, so I need to check this out. Probably not one. Probably not a great one for people with a drowning phobia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you have height phobias and you didn't want to fall, maybe watch the dive instead. And if you have drowning <laughs> phobias, but you're cool with heights, watch the fall. <laughs> There's also a a very cool car sequence, which we we don't want to mention, but it's a really cool car sequence in the dive, and you never thought it would it'd be one, but it is. So, all right, that's the dive. Uh, my number three, Bruce agree I, with everything you said about Godzilla minus one at my number three here. Just like a million miles away, this is one where you're probably going to see everything coming, but it just doesn't matter. It's just so well done. It's so well written. Uh, it does the Godzilla formula right by getting the human story right. And I think that's what a lot of Godzilla movies lack is a compelling human story. Because Godzilla as a character is kind of boring. It's he, He's just a wrecking ball. And you need that, that heart. And that's what I think the American Godzilla movies are really missing. This one, this one nailed it. It almost felt like Godzilla was interrupting those moments for me sometimes. Like, I want to see more of the suicide uh, kamikaze pilot. I want to see more of that story. The Godzilla theme song, when it hits, the original Godzilla theme song hits in this movie, it is fantastic. There's a, a water sequence early on in this movie where I wasn't expecting much going in, but man, once that scene hit, I was on the edge of my seat. And it's like, okay, these these people know how to make a Godzilla movie. I loved Godzilla Minus One. So yeah, that's my number three. If I if I could add real quick, what I, I love about Godzilla Minus One is that they call out how abhorrent the idea of suicide bombers are. Like, because yeah. you, you, th- you think of like Pearl Harbor and it's like kamikaze pilots and everything. But like this movie, like really puts puts a fine point on it. Like that was wrong to have asked your soldiers to do. And then uh, you had the guy like going through the has has a survivor's guilt and oh I wasn't I wasn't a real soldier. But then they bring up it's like you know what that that was wrong of your government to ask you to do that. And then to to have the uh, we're gonna we're gonna get through this and everybody lives. It was like just such a triumphant moment in that movie and a great message. Everybody coming together. Yeah, that was cool. All right. My number three is probably the only movie on here that everyone else is going to probably not like on the on the panel here. Uh, and that is uh, Ari Aster's new movie, Bo is Afraid. Uh, I know it's a highly uh, divisive movie for many people, but I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I know that Eric hated the main character, which is Bo, which you're with the whole time, all three hours. Um, and he's afraid of everything, as you might know. <laughs> <laughs> but um i just i guess i'm just an ariaster stan and this movie had so much going on like if you're gonna make a three-hour movie either make a super compelling intricate story like we just talked about with um uh scorsese's movie or you make a movie like this that is just packed full of creativity and ideas uh and once again, that could make it messy to a lot of people. That could make it unwatchable to a lot of people. To me, it's just a, a fascinating, a master filmmaker just throwing it all at the wall. Um, and I think that the way to watch this movie, if you are going to watch it, is to not watch it as I'm supposed to identify with the Joaquin Phoenix character, Bo, but think of it more as this incredible indictment of fear society a society where it is creating a world where you will be afraid and attacked by everything in your world uh it's funny in so many weird ways it's visually stunning it is always taking new turns um and if you like 
the way Astor tends to pack his movies with visual Easter eggs throughout, this movie is even more so that. Uh, I think this movie is going to age really, really well. I think give this movie 10 years, and I think it's going to be seen as a masterful indictment of the Trump era in a way that people are not seeing it right now. It is it is as if Fox News ruled every part of your world, created the world you lived in in every way, and then showed it to you in this movie. That is this movie. It's amazing. Bruce, are you the only documented person who enjoyed Boys Afraid just checking the stats? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, I, I just marked my words. Give it 10 years, and I bet you people are going to consider it a masterpiece because I think it is. You know, I didn't like Boys Afraid, but uh, everything Bruce said is correct. And uh, I, I, I think I think this movie will ab- absolutely age well. It's just I, I couldn't get past the character, but that, that's that's a me thing. That's not a movie thing. Okay, so my number three is actually titled Greg is Afraid of Bruce's Top Ten List, which includes <laughs> Rose Afraid, also known as All of Us Strangers, which is, again, a copycat of Bruce's All of Us Strangers previously from his honorable mentions. The only thing I'm going to add about All of Us Strangers, if you want to see, Bruce was talking about if you have troubles or you want to actually reflect about your parents it's great to watch also if you want to reflect about your own life on whether you are an introvert or an extrovert how you are proceeding in this world i believe all of us strangers is the perfect movie to watch and actually bruce has a great interpretation of the ending of all of us strangers and we're not going to get into it right now but this is a very deep movie it's deep but it's also very immersive and entertaining so all of us strangers is my number three Another ringing endorsement for all of us strangers. Eric, number three for you. All right, so early on, I talked about Do Not Disturb, very weird movie, but not the weirdest on the list. This one is the weirdest on the list. It's uh, written and directed by Eddie Alcazar, uh, starring Stephen Dorff, Scott Bakula, and uh, it's called Divinity. Um, Basically, Scott Bakula uh, is Stephen Dorff's dad, and he uh, develops his serum that you, you take it, and you look younger and sexier and all that. And, uh, uh, you know, now Steven Dorff is a uh, son. He's grown up at this point and he's selling the, this, uh, serum. I forget the name of it, but, uh, he sells it. It's, you know, incredibly popular. People take it. It works as advertised. And then, uh, these two guys come out of the ground. I don't know if they're golems or aliens. Um, but then they, uh, and by the way, everything I'm about to say now is not going to make sense, <laughs> but it's exactly what happens in the movie. But uh, they uh, come out of the ground and they uh, track down Stephen Dorff and they like hook him up to uh, hook him up to a uh, like a chair, put him on an IV, and the IV drip has that serum on it. But they're going to put like gallons of it in him, and uh, they're like, "I thought you said it was safe." And he's like, "Yeah, not that much." <laughs> The recommended dosage wasn't by the gallons, you dummy. Um, but they uh, they put it in him. And then he becomes like this hulking, like monstrosity kind of uh, kind of you know think the Incredible Hulk meets Sloth from Goonies, like one of those. Um, there's like a I think there's like a, a drug orgy in there, and there's like a, just a bunch of weird stuff going on. Uh, there's a final fight between Steven Dorff as the giant Sloth Hulk thing. Uh, and the two uh, alien golems. Um, but the final fight, so the whole movie is just, you know, shot. I, I'm pretty sure it's shot on film. It looks like it. And it's all in black and white. 
Uh, but the final fight is claymation. <laughs> so they get to that part and it was the movie was so strange leading up to that that when the final you know final claymation fight happens i'm like oh of course they go there <laughs> like it you know it, it doesn't even affect you because the movie's so just bonkers going forward um i think the best way i could put this movie is um either david lynch directing a wachowski script or vice versa. I'm not quite sure which one, but if you think uh, David Lynch and the Wachowskis working together, that's kind of what uh, Eddie Alcazar put together. It's glorious to behold. It's strange as hell, and I loved it. This actually probably should have been my number one, but my number one's my number one, so we'll get there. Jason, I have bad news for you. Uh, Eric has made that movie up just to troll you. So Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> it exist. Like no. it. <laughs> <laughs> that's divinity. Stuff you were telling me was selling me, and then stuff you were telling me was repelling me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You've just described our show. <laughs> All right, number two. We're, we're down to our last two picks, and we have just a couple that have crossed over. This is cool. My number two. So there were two giant, giant movies that came out this summer. I really only liked one of them, and that was... Barbie. I loved the film Barbie. There are two ways that you can go when you have this giant IP. One of the ways is like what they did with Super Mario Brothers. They did a really safe, really um, average movie. And then they went the complete opposite way with Barbie and went kind of completely off the rails. It's something I never would have expected from a Barbie movie. It's about Barbie and Ken. They're having the time of their lives in this colorful, perfect world called Barbie Land, and at some point, she starts having an existential crisis, and she and Ken go to the real world, where they discover the joys and perils of living among humans. It's about so much. There's uh, stuff about taking down the patriarchy. It's about the degradation of society. It's about expectations and mortality, and of course, it's about Kenergy. Great music in this the uh, the Ken song lives in my head. I have it on my on my phone to listen to every once in a while. Great music, incredible set design. Everything is so bright. Uh, I I loved the meta commentary, and I loved loved Ryan Gosling as Ken. I thought he was so fun in this movie. He just looked like he was having a ball. Everybody really was just having a ball in this, and uh, I I think it showed up. You're gonna see this during Oscar season. I'm sure that it will be nominated for things. Probably won't be nominated for Best Picture, but I could see Gosling getting a nom. I could see like set design getting getting a nom for sure. There's just so much to like here. I loved Barbie. I saw it in a theater in Mexico, and uh, I think a lot of people in Mexico were not expecting this kind of message from the Barbie movie. I think I liked it a lot more than everybody else in that theater that day. But uh, man, yeah, I I loved it so much. I absolutely co-sign. Bar- Barbie's fantastic. Uh, it, it's such a weird balance, the way they can actually critique the idea of Barbie as well as love it at the same time. That's a strange thing they do in that movie, but it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm so surprised that Mattel like let that go, like sneak through. Yeah, it's like this. It's like they didn't get it or something. Um, hmm, I wonder. Just like the <laughs> just like the uh, executives they show in the movie. Um, my number two movie is bright, bold, subversive, colorful. But it's not Barbie. It's Alberto Vasquez's Unicorn Wars. Uh, This is my favorite animated movie of the year. This is by the director of Bird Boy. Uh, Unicorn Wars is 
something else. Uh, this is first of all, this is an animated movie. Uh, it's Spanish, if I remember correctly. Um, I will give you the description from the director of his own movie. He says it is Bambi meets Apocalypse Now meets the Bible. Uh, yeah, it is kind of like that. Uh, <laughs> you have a army of teddy bears. <laughs> yes, I said army of teddy bears who are tasked with eliminating their mortal enemies, unicorns, from the world. Um, they go on a, a voyage, a trip, literally and figuratively. Uh, there is uh, massive violence in this movie, more uh, animated uh, teddy bear parts than you want to ever see. Um, do not show this to any children. If you can help yourself, uh, there might be psych psychedelics involved, uh, and there might be one of the best, uh, origin stories of an evil fascist, uh, villain that you've ever seen on film in any form. Uh, this movie is amazing. If there were midnight movies anymore, really in an existence, this would be a shoe in to be playing for years. Uh, if you have not looked up, uh, unicorn wars, uh, and it sounds interesting to you. You like weird, culty movies. This is something you should check out. You know, I, I'm going to co-sign with Bruce on this. It sounds very, it, it just sounds very oblique and very selective. I think it will have, there should, more people should be watching Unicorn Wars. I think there is broad appeal, even with the violence and the storytelling, if I recall, is very uncompromising as well. It's just a really well done film. And that Apocalypse Now reference, the, the, the director references, it's perfect. So I think, Jason, you might at, le at the very least appreciate the film. As much as uh, Bruce uh, praised the villain uh, origin story, I think he undersold it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's Unicorn Wars at number two for Bruce. My number two is Anatomy of a Fall. Here's the caveat. It's two and a half freaking hours. But here's the good news. It goes by pretty quick, especially if you're invested in the story. Simple story. A woman is suspected of her husband's murder. He fell from the top of their house. They live somewhere in the seclusion of the Fr French mountains, snowy area, and she's accused of his murder. And a lot of the movie deals with whether or not she committed murder. Her son is a big, her son who's blind, he is a big ingredient in this whole situation because he has to figure out whether or not his mother is a killer. While also, actually, almost more importantly, he lost his dad, so he's suffering trauma as well. What's interesting about Anatomy of a Fall is it's several movies packed into one. You get the family drama at the beginning, you get the suspense thriller, and then you get an elongated courtroom thriller. And then for a while, it gets into this domestic drama, two-hander, for about 10 minutes, which is just bravura acting from the people involved. By the way, Sandra Huller, she is the lead in, in Anatomy of a Fall. My favorite performance of 2023. And Sandra Huller is also a co-star. She played the commandant's wife in the zone of interest. So I'm trying to think of anyone who's had... She's had one of the best years in 2023 with the zone of interest and anatomy of a fall. This is a perfect movie. I, I know Eric probably co-signs on this as well as a courtroom drama. It's really well done. This is my number two. It actually should be my number one, but I have a number one sentimental favorite. But yeah, anatomy of a fall is as perfect as it gets. I was locked up with COVID for a little while, so I put this on during COVID, and I, it didn't really connect with me when I watched it, but afterwards, I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And really, the theme for me with that one is you don't know anybody's relationship. 
only the people in that relationship know because there are things that you might see from the outside or hear from the outside and it, it's just how that relationship is and you just from the outside you just can't know what somebody's relationship with another person is. I think to your point, there will be detractors of that movie and that's exactly why because a lot of things aren't really explained very well and it's really, a lot of it is left up to interpretation. So I think there might be some people who might not really enjoy Anatomy of a Fall. There's certainly a a good look at the court system in France, which is uh, real different than it is here in the US. All right, Eric, uh, number two for you. All right, so uh, my number two, um, there's a, uh, uh, we, you know, we get screeners for the podcast, and uh, there's uh, one PR person in particular, Emma, that just has my taste dialed down, like, to a science. And uh, she hit me up pretty early and go, hey, there's this movie, uh, you're going to go crazy for it. So, you know, I'll, I'll, send, you a link, I'll send you a link once, uh, once it comes up. And she wasn't wrong at all uh it's written and directed by jean-marie hellander it's called sisu uh, i think we all know about sisu i think even a lot of people uh hearing this uh may have heard it um i don't know uh they haven't released the oscar nominations for best picture if this isn't on there uh the oscars are a sham <laughs> and you should not watch it uh if you've seen the if you haven't seen sisu but maybe you've seen the trailer there's a a part where the Head Nazis point at one of his cronies to walk into this, uh, you know, a uh, bunch of dust that got kicked up by mines, and the Nazis like going into into the dust to get the uh, uh, the main guy uh, Yorma Tomia, um, and then what comes out of the dust is a landmine, right on his forehead. Thing blows up. That's kind of what this movie is. It's just uh, just over the top action, uh, crazy violence. And uh, it's basically, uh, hey, uh, this uh, Tommy guy, he found a bunch of gold and he's trying to get it uh, to cash it in and, uh, you know, become rich. But he gets stopped by uh, Nazis and the Nazis picked on the wrong man. So a story you've seen a thousand times before. But this is uh, written and directed by Yomari, as I mentioned, who also did Rare Exports. If you've seen Rare Exports, you know what to expect with Sisu, but this movie is everything you want it to be, everything that's promised in the trailer, and so much fun to watch. I had a lot of fun with Sisu as well. It feels like World War II John Wick. It is (laughs) implausible stuff everywhere and stuff that you'd never be able to do in real life, but man, is it fun. That landmine to the head is a perfect way to, to put it. Okay, number one. Number one, here we are at the top. My favorite movie of 2023. I saw this in the middle of the year and I figured nothing would top it. And I was right. Nothing did top it. There are very few movies where I will sit and watch the credits thinking I have just seen something that is going to change the movies that come after it. I think the last time that I had that experience was probably when I watched The Matrix in theaters in 1999, where I sat there and thought, okay, action movies, there's a new bar set for action movies. And that's how I feel about animated movies after watching Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It's just hard to see my little man not being my little boy all the time. Yeah. For years I've been taking care of this little boy. Making sure he is loved that he feels like he belongs wherever he wants to be. 
He wants to go out into the world and do great big things. Not bad, kid. And what I worry about most... I love you, Miles. ...is they won't look out for you like us. This takes animation to a whole new level. They're characters that you know, and it spotlights those characters in really interesting ways. It almost starts off as a ghost spider movie. I don't watch trailers for things, so when I sat down and the first 20, 25 minutes of this is focused on ghost spider, I was like, oh, is we're getting a Gwen Stacy movie? And then it transitions to all of the characters that we saw from the first one, but it's it's visually one of the most stunning movies I've ever seen. And if I wanted to pick one scene from this that I think illustrates that, there's a chase where Spider-Man or Miles Morales as Spider-Man is being chased by all these other Spider-Men and Spider-Women and Spider-Robots and everything. And it is such a blast. It's a, it's a scene where I thought immediately after the movie, I have to watch this again just for that one scene. And then when I got it on on disc, it's just going through frame by frame to see if I can pick up all the spider people in there that I knew from my childhood. Perfectly connects to the first one and a really great setup to the next one. That's my only complaint about it is that it's it ends on a cliffhanger that will have you just uh, angered because now you got to wait two years, to three years to find out what happens. If the third one sticks the landing in this universe, I will go out on a limb and say that it could be the best film trilogy of all time. I loved Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and uh, by far my number one. Nothing even came close. (laughs) Excellent. It's a good one for sure. Uh, My number one, well, my first one that I mentioned was from Argentina. My number one is from Argentina. And my number one is one that's already been mentioned today uh, because I don't think horror ever gets number one spots. Hardly ever. So this year, I think it should be When Evil Lurks by Damien Rugna. This movie, um, all the stuff Jason said is exactly true. Some of the things that I would call out about this movie, I'm a pretty hardened horror fan, so I can watch movies that'll make me squirm, make me gross, you know, uh, that's a little gross or whatever. Maybe even give me a little bit of a creep factor. But this movie made me yelp out loud. When I was watching it, and you probably know the spot, Jason, uh, made me yelp out loud. It might have been. It made me yelp out loud. And I wasn't even in the theater. I was just sitting in my home. uh, And I was really upset that I couldn't see this in the theater. And I was really upset I never came back to the theater. Uh, Once again, uh, things I would call out on top of this is that this is probably the worst father uh, I saw in film for quite a few years. And this movie is not about a protagonist per se. It's more about, um, how, when certain people are faced with very crazy situations, they 
might just make all the worst choices uh and <laughs> that's kind of how kind of how this movie goes uh it's almost in that way it's almost like a classic tragedy you know the idea of a classic tragedy like oedipus or something is they are told the rules and they're told what's going to happen to them and yet they still do the stuff that they shouldn't do and the stuff still happens and within that like you said you have lore that you don't quite understand but it feels like they understand it uh and on top of that you have a, a filmmaker who's just making this underground little horror movie that is actually able to get buzz from fans like in this day and age and is incredibly receptive to the fans. I saw him appearing on YouTube channels that were just these small little YouTube channels doing hour long interviews with people, constantly posting joyous stuff about how happy he is to, you know, have people enjoying his movie. And he's, t- he's taking it in the, in the light that we hope, all filmmakers would and that they you put out this art and you hope people love it and people are loving this movie and i think the sky's the limit for this guy um and uh boy oh boy i hope we have you know we might have a new carpenter in the making who knows maybe not maybe this is the end of what he does but uh i am i have high hopes i do too bruce and eric what's my number one you want to guess bruce eric you got any ideas i'm trying to think what you haven't said yet um i'm gonna say i'm gonna say Concrete Utopia. Ooh, very good. What do, you, what do you think? What do you think, Eric? Concrete Utopia. That's something that Jason should watch if he hasn't already. It is The Eight Mountains. Non pensavo di trovare un amico come Bruno nella vita. Ne che l'amicizia fosse un luogo dove metti le tue radici e che resta ad aspettarti. The eight, oh, The Eight Mountains. Good. Oh, yes. Yes, the Eight Mountains. I know Eric, you were a little bit mixed on this. I think Bruce, you liked it as as well. You liked I this movie it. as well. Movie set in the Italian Alps, and it centers on just initially two kids. Pietro is a city boy in Italy. He goes to this village called Grana, where his mom and dad they have a house there, and it's in the Italian Alps. Alps, and he becomes friends with this guy named Bruno. They're they're both eleven years old, and the first part of the movie centers on their friendship. The father really loves going to the countryside. And what happens is, years later, Pietro comes back to the mountain to fulfill his late father's wishes as far as the piece of land on top of the mountain. He's trying to build a house in that area in Grana where he spent a lot of summers as a youth. So it's a coming-of-age drama between these two boys turned into men. Was that group boys to men, right? So it's a coming-of-age story, essentially, but it's set in the Italian Alps. Hard to find a more beautiful movie than this. The score and the music, I think Bruce, you alluded to in the, the review, really great music to c- accompany this epic tale. I recommend this movie to a, a bunch of people and they've come back with some negative reviews saying that not much happens and I I don't know what to say. Life happens throughout this movie. You get to see their progression and you get to see if Pietro ultimately just lives out his father's dream for his son. So that it's very touching. Hit me in all the feels. The Eight Mountains is my number one. In 2022, it won the Grand Jury Prize in Cannes, and it was released last year here in the States. All right. We got one last pick here. Eric Holmes. Yes. Top in your list for 2023. Uh, The top of my list of 2023 might just be one of my favorite movies, period. Uh, I mean, that's Gremlins. Doesn't overtop that, but it's like right there. Uh, It's William Friedkin's last movie, uh, The K-Mutiny Court Martial. 
the cyclone was coming at us from the east. We were sailing blind through the rain and the spray. My executive officer went into a panic. He repeatedly tried to order me off the bridge. I told him he was performing a mutinous act. The trial council will state the charge. Charge one, mutiny. Did you relieve the commander of the USS Kane? Yes. Captain Quig had lost control. We had the commander under constant observation. You felt you had the right to depose a commanding officer on the grounds of mental illness. Yes. Did you think he was insane? I love courtroom dramas, and this one's just court courtroom drama distilled. It, it never leaves the courtroom. You're just there from beginning to end, the whole trial. And it's just uh, really great writing. Uh, it's, it's, it says teleplay by William Freakin, which I guess means it's a TV movie, technically. But uh, regardless, I absolutely loved it. Um, the, the writing's great. The, the back and forth. Uh, Jason Clark's character um, is the, uh, uh, the prosecutor. And then, uh, you know, he's defending his case. And then you quickly come to realize that he doesn't agree with the side he's uh arguing for and then so that you know that that's really interesting um and it all leads up to well i said it all takes place inside the the courtroom that's not exactly true because it's got a coda at the end where they're like at this kind of after party's not the right word but they kind of have a little get together at the end and uh that scene just kind of ties everything together and uh jason clark's speech at the end feels like he's just channeling william friedkin and it's it's amazing. I love everything about this movie. Um, I guess uh, one of the drawbacks, I guess some people say it uh, feels a little TV movie. But, I mean, William Freakin's 12 Angry Men was a TV movie. And that was fantastic, too. It's like, why why would you remake it? Sidney Lumet did it great. And it's not, there's there's certain, like, uh, 12 Angry Men and uh, uh, Inherit the Wind. Like, these kind of movies, like, they get remade, I think, because they're such good stories that you always want to see them done again with like, you know, different, let's see how these actors, you know, kind of uh, go about these roles. And the, the stories are so good and timeless that you can do that. I would like to see, I would love to see like maybe in another 10 years, someone else take on the K-Mutiny Court Martial. I, I know they have the K-Mutiny. That's a lot different than what this is. Um, but uh, I would love to see like in 10 years, like someone else, take the Kane mutiny court martial just as it is. And then just kind of do it with a whole new cast of characters and kind of see how they, uh, uh, see how they play out the characters, you know, see how, you know, how it plays out. Um, this, I would put this up there with the uh, trial of Chicago seven. I would put it up there with 12 angry men inherit the wind, all that stuff. This movie is, if you love courtroom dramas, like I do, this one's pure heroin. All right. This is a good year for courtroom dramas for you. There yeah, and, in fact, there's one week. we haven't even mentioned. It's called uh, Miranda's Victim. Mm -hmm. I I really wanted to put that on there, but I already had a courtroom drama, which was this one. But uh, there's a there's a movie called Miranda's Victim. Go check that out. Uh, if you go, if you Google it and you see the uh, poster, ignore that. It's one of the worst posters you'll ever see, but the movie's fantastic. All right, wow, we had a uh, some really diverse lists here. I'm really happy with what we have come up with. Just a couple of crossovers and so many things that I have to put on my watch list. Just before we get into our plugs and wrap this up, uh, any other films that weren't mentioned at all that you think need to get a shout out? Uh, maybe just one sentence about them. Uh, Your Lucky Day, 
Um, guy wins a lottery ticket at a gas station. Someone tries to rob him of it. People die, and they're trying to figure out how to get away from it. That's about the best I can do. Um, and Alien Planet, a complete B-movie, but absolutely fun to watch. It's B-movie and very, very low budget, but they do some fun things in there. Um, and I think that's... Oh, that, there's, a, there's a couple more, but those will be represented in the ancillary list. Greg, what about you? Anything that, that you wanted to mention? Yeah, this movie called Perfect Days, directed by Vim Vendors, and it centers on this Japanese toilet cleaner. And it's like, it's an amazing film. And I probably, I don't know why I didn't put it, should have been in my top 10 probably, but it's just, it's very strong. If you're like, if you like Wings of Desire, Paris, Texas, Perfect Days is right up there. And you can really get to follow his day in, day out life as a simple toilet cleaner in Japan. I know it sounds boring, but the way it's executed by vendors is, it's pretty much a masterpiece. I could list a whole bunch, but I think uh, since we already mentioned it briefly, I would say Concrete Utopia. That was one we saw in the last couple months. It's a South Korean movie. Um, it's an amazing story. Of It's kind of post-apocalyptic in the sense that there's this uh, huge earthquake and essentially the whole city is destroyed except for this one apartment complex. And then it essentially kind of becomes kind of like a Lord of the Flies kind of a thing where you have all of these people in the apartment complex trying to create their own society and very quickly you get the microcosm of society as a whole and it's just interesting and very uh very affecting and just has uh, a little bit of everything for everybody in it and the way that like south korean movies can only do where you might have a karaoke in one scene and then someone throwing someone into a chasm in the next scene it's 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 quite a bit it's great that would be a, uh, and I think we mentioned this before. Concrete Utopia make a great double feature with Godzilla minus one. Yep, because they're both social commentary by way of disaster movie. And I think it was uh, South Korea's Oscar submission, so they're very high on Concrete Utopia as well. Hopefully, so. it deserves it. It's really great. I have to check that out. I haven't yet. A couple that uh, I wanted to mention that weren't mentioned yet and won't be in my superlatives. Project Wolf Hunting, speaking of uh, South Korean films, this is like one of the bloodiest, nuttiest films I saw last year. Yeah. Hell of a monster that movie. That was 2023? That should have been on my list. I didn't know that was 2023. I think it was very early. Well, we were weirdos. We got it early. <laughs> Son of yeah. Remember, we got screeners in the early. fall. That's the only reason we knew about it. So uh, yeah. I need to get that on Blu-ray. I need to get Project Wolf Hunting on Blu-ray. That, if I knew movie. that counted, I, I, hold on. I need to figure out what I got to take off. No, that, no it's fine. But <laughs> I, I, I got we're, we're on there. That, 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 that represents that kind, of, that kind of area. Talk about uncompromising action films. You're like, I like this. Wait, that person just, what? What just happened? So much yeah, blood. Yeah, arms ripped off. It's it has all the absolutely blood. Absolutely nuts. It might be bloodier than Evil Dead Rise, and that's saying something, so. Oh, it has yeah, to be. it's crazy. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to mention David Fincher's movie, The Killer, which was, uh, it was good. It wasn't good enough to make my top 10 list, but I really enjoyed that one. Um, Extraction 2. Oh, I see. We, we got Eric Holmes with the killer poster there. Extraction 2 was real, real fun in terms of action movies. Again, not high art, but I'll watch that one. Um, I'll definitely watch that one again. And then one more that I wanted to mention that I was turned on to by you guys was the another movie with a terrible title and a terrible poster, To Catch a Killer. I thought it was a really, really fun movie that just... The, the name did not do it justice. If we had like top five opening scenes, the opening scene from To Catch a Killer could be on that list it's that good well we are uh, considering a uh, collective top five that we'll do on our show perhaps that'll come up on there 
Oh, it's perhaps yeah. <laughs> real good. All right, let's recap our lists real quick for the listeners. I will go first. At number 10, I had Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan. At number nine, I had Talk to Me. At number eight, They Cloned Tyrone. Number seven, When Evil Lurks. Number six, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. At five, I had The Holdovers. At four, Killers of the Flower Moon. At number three, Godzilla Minus One. At number two, I had Barbie. And my favorite movie of 2023 was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. All right. My number 10 was The Attachment Diaries. Number nine, May, December. Number eight, Love Gets a Room. Number seven, All of Us Strangers. Number six, Linoleum. Number five, Rebel. Number four, Godzilla Minus One. Number three, Bo is Afraid. Number two, Unicorn Wars. And number one, in its proper spot, When Evil Lurks. My top 10. 10 is Our Father the Devil. Number nine is Americazzi. Eight, Joyland. Seven, Love Gets a Room. Six, May, December. Five, Of an Age. Four, The Zone of Interest. Three, All of Us Strangers. Two, Anatomy of a Fall. And number one, The Eight Mountains. Uh, mine got mixed around because I had a call in Audible with the uh, Rebel. But uh, it, it doesn't matter because I have a number one. Everything else is tied for two. But we got 10, Dreamin' Wild. 9, Do Not Disturb. Uh, 8, Candyland. 7, Biosphere. Oh, 6, Compromat. Uh, 5, The Dive. 4, A Million Miles Away. 3, Divinity. 2, Sisu. Number 1, K-Mutiny Court Martial. So many great movies that people can can watch right now. So watch these movies. Tell us what you thought. Actually, tell us on the Cinematics Facebook page where you can find all four of us posting about movies. And where else can people find Cinematics? Well, if you want to watch Bo is Afraid and listen to Bruce's review and you have different thoughts, go to bruceperky at gmail.com and yell at him on that. <laughs> and then Cinematics, we're everywhere. Oh, Bruce, you're shaking your head. Oh, we're, we're here every week, just like you are, Jason. So... Check us out on Apple Cinematics on Apple Podcasts, and more, most importantly, our Cinematics Facebook group. Jason Kleberg is a member, and all we we do daily movie recommendations and insights and all that stuff. So that's it. You can also go to uh, findyourfilmpodcast.com to get some merch. Um, on there, we have uh, plenty of T-shirts, hoodies, uh, little script poster things. We even got a pickle. Uh, uh, pickleball paddle set. Uh, Jason, ask me why we have a pickleball paddle set. <laughs> because you can, I'm guessing, Eric. <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I know that you're stepping out of the shower onto your marble floors with a uh, shower curtain <laughs> that says cinematic. Oh, yeah, there, I forgot. Right? Yeah, we have those shower curtains. We've not sold one, and hopefully it continues, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, be the if first. You, if you want to, if you want a cinematic shower curtain or paddle ball set, then uh, pickle ball set, then there you go. <laughs> Links to everything cinematics will be in the show notes, and I really, really highly recommend that you head over to the cinematics Facebook page. It's one of the only reasons I keep Facebook around is to to chop it up with these guys about movies on a daily basis. So please go join us, check it out. One more thing before you cut out, next week's mini episode also features the Cinematics crew as we talk about our superlative categories, things like best performance of the year, favorite non-2023 discoveries, and even the worst films we saw last year. So make sure to tune in next Monday. Before you skip over to the Cinematics podcast today, please rate and review this show on your favorite podcast platform. Getting the word out about Force 5 is the only way this show grows. 
Intro and outro bumpers come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some amazing films from 2023.